Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, The Absinthe Murders. But first, your true crime headlines. The man who filmed the widely circulated video of the fatal shooting of Ahmad Arbery is now behind bars, facing charges of felony murder and criminal attempt to commit false imprisonment. 50-year-old William Roddy Bryan Jr. was recording as 64-year-old Gregory McMichael and his 34-year-old son Travis chased Aubrey down the street in their pickup truck as he jogged through their neighborhood in suburban Georgia on February 23rd. The video captures the confrontation between Gregory and Travis McMichael, who were both armed, and Aubrey, who was unarmed. Travis McMichael fires two shotgun blasts into Aubrey just off-screen, and then Aubrey stumbles back into view before collapsing in the middle of the street. Gregory and Travis McMichael told investigators that they chased Aubrey because they believed that he was responsible for some burglaries in their neighborhood. The shooting drew national outrage when local authorities failed to bring charges against Travis and Gregory McMichael, with one district attorney calling the shooting justified. Gregory McMichael retired last year after more than two decades as an investigator for the local prosecutor's office. Because of those ties, two local prosecutors recused themselves, citing potential conflict of interest. Those prosecutors are now being investigated for their alleged mishandling of the case. After the video was leaked online May 5th, it drew attention from Georgia's governor, who called it horrific, and asked for the Georgia Bureau of Investigation to take over the case. Two days after the release of the video and more than two months after the crime, Gregory and Travis McMichael were finally arrested and charged with first-degree murder. Brian has maintained that he did not participate in the killing and his attorneys insist that he is nothing more than a witness. However, Brian's name does appear in the police report filed on the day of the shooting. According to the report, Gregory McMichael told police that after he and his son, Travis, attempted and failed to stop Aubrey, Roddy tried to intercept him. All three men are being held in the Glen County Detention Center as they await preliminary hearings in the case. On Long Island, a man was stabbed to death by his son as he participated in a video chat on Zoom. 72-year-old Dwight Powers was on a video chat with about 20 other people when some of the participants noticed him fall over. Moments later, a naked man appeared on the screen near where Powers had been. Other chat participants watched as the naked man stripped sheets off of a bed and put them on the ground as if he was covering something up with them. Several concerned chat participants called 911, but it took them some time to figure out Powers' address to provide to police. When officers arrived at the Powers' home, 32-year-old Thomas Scully Powers answered the door. He tried to flee by jumping out of a window, but officers caught up with him about a mile away from the home and arrested him on second-degree murder charges. He was taken to a local hospital to receive treatment for minor injuries he sustained by jumping out of the window, according to police. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, the absinthe murders. But first, a quick break. These are challenging times. 
So if you've been thinking about talking to someone, it's time to get BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist so that you can start communicating in under 24 hours. BetterHelp is not a crisis line and it's not self-help. BetterHelp is professional counseling done securely from your home online. BetterHelp has a broad range of expertise available and the service is available for clients worldwide. Just log into your account anytime to send a message to your counselor and you'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in a waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to matching you with the right therapist, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if you need to. Plus, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website now to read the testimonials, like this review written on May 24th by a BetterHelp user after counseling with Marissa Sherman for three weeks. Marissa has helped me immensely, and I feel like she's very easy to talk to about everything and she does understand what I'm going through. Or this one about Tracy Faust. Tracy listens to me and is always supportive of my needs. I look forward to writing to her every day. She always responds in a timely manner. She sets aside time for us to have a weekly video chat every week. I feel very lucky to have found Tracy and BetterHelp. Read more at betterhelp.com reviews and visit betterhelp.com slash murderminute to join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Murder Minute listeners get 10% off their first month when they visit betterhelp.com slash murderminute. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash murderminute. Welcome back to Murder Minute. At 4.30 a.m. on August 28, 1905, 31-year-old John Lanfray started his day as usual. With a shot of absinthe mixed with three parts of water. Then, another. John Lanfray was a laborer and a drunk who worked on a vineyard in Comuni, Switzerland. Described as a tough, burly peasant, Jean Lanfray was roughly six feet tall and weighed 180 pounds. A Frenchman by birth, Jean Lanfray had served three years of military service in the French army. He now lived on the second floor of a farmhouse with his wife and two young daughters. His parents and his brother Paul, who worked as laborers on the same vineyard, lived on the floor below. For the past year, Jean Lanfray and his wife had been arguing about everything, chiefly his drinking, and this morning was no different. After quarreling briefly when Jean insisted that she wax his boots and, quote, make it good, Jean went out to the barn, watered the cows, and let them out to pasture. 
Then, after a quick coffee and a bit of bread, Jean, his father, and his brother headed out to the vineyard. On their way to work, at about 5.30 a.m., they stopped at a café where Lanfray downed a creme de menthe and a cognac. And Lanfray was just getting started. Over the course of the day, between lunch and quitting time, he had seven glasses of wine. Then at 4.30, the day's work over, Lanfray, his father, and his brother headed home. But not before stopping again at a café, where Lanfray had a cup of black coffee laced with brandy. Once home at 5 p.m., Jean Lanfray and his father downed yet another bottle of wine. By now, Jean Lanfray had been drinking for over 12 hours. Unsurprisingly, Jean's wife was in a bad mood. The tension erupted when Mrs. Lanfray reminded her husband that it was time to milk the cows. Jean refused, told her to go to hell and milk the cows herself. Then he demanded a coffee. She put the coffee pot on the stove and went out to the barn. Jean laced the coffee with brandy, and when his wife returned, complained to her that it hadn't been hot enough. She shrugged. Then Jean noticed his boots sitting under the sink, unwaxed. Jean flew into a rage. His father tried to excuse himself and said goodnight to his daughter-in-law, which only enraged Jean more. She stood there, shrugging her shoulders, as her husband grew angrier and angrier. When he started yelling at her, she yelled back. Shut up, he shouted. I'd like to see you make me, she replied. You would, would you? Jean went and got his rifle. His father pleaded with him to calm down, but Jean Lanfray raised the rifle and shot his wife in the head. She died almost instantly as his father ran out of the house screaming for help. Oh, secour, secour. When his four-year-old daughter, Rose, ran into the room, she screamed at the sight of her mother laying dead on the floor. He shot her in the chest. As Rose lay dying, Jean went into the bedroom where one-year-old Blanche was sleeping in her crib. Having killed his wife and children, Jean Lanfray then attempted to shoot himself in the head. But the rifle was too long. He got a string and tied it to the trigger, looped it behind the trigger bar, then held the free end of the string with one hand and the barrel with the other. After several clumsy attempts, the bullet missed his brain and lodged in his lower jaw. Jean picked up his four-year-old daughter Blanche's body, carried her out to the barn, and collapsed into a deep sleep. It wasn't long before his father returned with the police. They took him to a nearby hospital where the bullet was surgically removed from his jaw. Police described Jean as dazed and incoherent. 
he again fell asleep after the surgery. When he regained consciousness, Jean Lanfray claimed to have no memory of murdering his wife and children. When they took him to see his three victims in their coffins, Jean broke down. A nurse later reported that Jean Lanfray moaned over and over again, quote, It's not me who did this. Oh God, please tell me that I have not done this. I loved my wife and children so much. The autopsy results later showed that Mrs. Lanfray was four months pregnant with a boy. The community was horrified. They knew Jean as a devoted family man who appeared to work hard to support his growing family. On Sunday, September 3rd, a town meeting was held to determine what had made this upstanding father and husband commit such a vile act. For them, there was only one thing to blame. Absinthe. Known as the Green Fairy, absinthe is an alcohol brewed with herbs and spices, most notably wormwood, a plant reputed to have a slew of health benefits, as well as hallucinogenic effects. By the mid-19th century, absinthe was a favorite of bohemians, poets, and artists, including Oscar Wilde, Toulouse-Lautrec, and Van Gogh. But it had also earned a violent reputation. Some claimed that studies had shown chronic ingestion of the drink produced a syndrome called absinthism, characterized by addiction, violence, hyperexcitability, seizures, hallucinations, and eventually, death. Others argued that the studies lacked validity, as they were only showing the results of ingesting large amounts of wormwood. That absinthe was merely an alcoholic beverage like any other, and that the amount of wormwood in the drink was not sufficient to produce such extreme side effects. Temperance movements persisted in targeting absinthe for its supposed psychoactive properties. But despite its controversy and efforts to ban its use, by the time of the Lanfray murders, absinthe was a $100 million industry spanning both Europe and the United States. At the town meeting, speaker after speaker stood up and denounced the liquor. Absinthe the mayor declared, is the principal cause of a series of bloody crimes in our country. The citizens voted that day to petition the local government to ban absinthe. 82,000 people signed, including women who at the time did not yet have the right to vote, and the press dubbed the Landfray slaying the absinthe murders. On February 23, 1906, Jean Lanfray's trial began. It lasted only one day. A Swiss psychiatrist, Dr. Albert Maheim, was called in by the defense to testify that Jean Lanfray's violent actions were the result of absinthism. The psychiatrist called it, quote, a classic case of absinthe madness, and declared that only sustained consumption of absinthe could have caused, quote, 
the ferociousness of temper and blind rages that made him shoot his wife for nothing and his two poor children, whom he loved. The prosecution argued that his absinthe consumption was nothing when compared to his chronic intake of other alcohol. Jean Lanfray was found guilty on all three counts of murder and sentenced to 30 years in prison. Three days later, he hung himself in his cell. The murders were exactly what the temperance movement needed and became the catalyst for a full ban of the drink. On May 15, 1906, the Swiss government voted to ban the sale and use of absinthe. Despite efforts by absinthe manufacturers and cafe owners to reverse the decision, in 1910, the Swiss constitution was changed to make the manufacture and possession of absinthe illegal. Publicity over the case and efforts by temperance activists led to similar bans across most of Europe and the United States. It would take almost a century for absinthe to shake its bad reputation. By the 1990s, studies confirmed that absinthe's psychoactive properties had been exaggerated. And by 2007, the Green Fairy was once again welcome at the table. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.